0: What's going on guys? Welcome back to the Monkey Finance Show podcast. Today we're going to be recording episode number 17. can't believe I already got 17 episodes of this show. I remember uh, funny enough I remember when I just uh, decided to get into podcasting last summer I figured I'd put together a couple of episodes and you know give it a shot and see if it's something that works out and here it is. It's kind of starting to catch fire as of late. I think a lot of it has to do with me sharing a lot of links on the YouTube side. So a lot of YouTube subscribers are starting to jump on the podcast. I'm going to be real honest with you guys. Um, I'm not a guy that was made for film, right? Like I I don't like being in front of the camera. I really like sitting down, slapping on my headphones, maybe getting a cold beverage, getting behind the mic. I have a lot of fun doing that. So Thank you guys for supporting the podcast. It is another avenue for me to reach hopefully more people, more listeners. And I know some subscribers actually prefer the podcast just because they could throw it on in their car or if they're working out or whatever the case may be, they can throw it on on their on their phone and you know, put it in their AirPods or whatever headphones they got and kind of uh uh get entertained, hopefully get educated for half hour, 15 minutes, 45 minutes depending on how long I go. So today's topic uh, is is really a simple one, but also it's, there's a lot of it uh, to break down. So I'll probably be spending a good half hour talking about it. But you know, with me, I can always go uh, on a, on a rant and kind of lose all these side tangents and lose my main focus of what I'm even talking about. But really, what I want to talk to you guys uh, about today is is a question that I get asked a lot on my YouTube channel, and I mean, I get emails, I get questions on the comment side. And you guys want to know what is the best fund or what is the best strategy? And I always hesitate to answer that question, not because I want to be mean and I want you to do your own research, although I do want you to do your own research, but I still want to be nice to you. Uh, I want to say it in a polite way, but the, that question is a loaded question. And this is a sort of how I want you to think about it next time that question pops up in your head. Um, the, the easy answer is it depends and there's no one right strategy. That's the easy answer. But the more complicated answer is for me, I could give you the best strategy, but I would have to probably spend at the very minimum, at least a couple of hours on the phone with you, uh, to really dig deep to what your financial goals are, um, what your income is, what your spending is, I would have to kind of get to know you on a personal level. And of course, if I spent a couple of hours with every subscriber on the phone, I pretty much wouldn't have time for anything else. So I'm not gonna do that. So on my channel, I I try to give you advice that's applicable to a, a bigger, broader audience. It's not necessarily like tailored advice that will fit your scenario perfectly. But it's advice that if you follow it, It's not going to steer you down the wrong path. So when I say something like, you know, you should put 60% of your money in a total stock market or S&P 500 index fund, I think any financial advisor, any financial guru would find it very difficult to pick that statement apart and say that's bad advice. Uh, All I'm telling you to do is just track the market. That's as good as advice, in my opinion, can be. Uh, but it's advice that again is intended for a broader audience. Does everybody need to have sixty percent uh, of their money in an S and P or total market? No. Could you just put 100% a hundred percent in S and P and total market? Absolutely. So you can see here already there's two different strategies that I'm kind of dancing around with. One is you put sixty percent in S and P. The other one is you put a hundred uh, percent in the S and P. And then. To answer the question, which one will do better? Well, the the answer to that question is nobody knows. It depends on timing. It depends on luck. It depends on how much you put in, when you put in. I mean, there's so many variables that it's impossible to predict between these two different strategies, which one will do better. So it's safe to say that either one of these that you pick, you're going to be well-served investing in this type of strategy where you're invested in a broad-based index fund. Of course, you could take it to a level that I take it to now where I recommend a 60-20-20 portfolio. Part of that is really because I think you can do better than just the market. And the other part of it is I want you to not be a 100% invested in just one economy. Now, for the longest time, I had a belief that a U.S. economy or not just the U.S. economy, but investing in U.S. stocks would serve U.S. investors the best. And I still have that belief for the most part, and even in the strategy that I recommend now, it's really 80% in the U.S. stock market, which most people think it's too aggressive. If if, if you look at a world fund, it's typically a 55-45, where it's 55 in U.S. and 45 in international. That's a well-diversified global fund. Uh, that ranks companies on market caps. I think that's too much an in international, and some people will think, well, that's not enough an in international. So you can already see there's differing opinions on what an investor should do. So answering the question of what you should do makes it even harder. But here's why I think the Mookie 3 strategy is effective at at least getting you started in the right direction. It might not be the best. But it will get you started in the right direction. And as you educate yourself, as you learn about risk tolerance, risk capacity, and some of you might even learn about risk avoidance, you can then deviate from the Mucky 3 strategy. Uh, Not too much, but you can deviate from it and still uh, sort of feel safe in your comfort zone. So one way I recommend the Mucky 3 strategy is for anybody who is under 40 years old, let's say. you're 20, 30, even 35, I think you'd be well served in 100% equities and in these three different asset classes, 60% in the total US, 20% in total international, and 20% in small cap value. Now, I say that as a broad statement. I don't know if you specifically would be well served because maybe you're somebody who Who's risk adverse and you can't handle the volatility of small cap value, you can't handle a 6% drop in one day. Well, that if that's you, then you're not gonna be well served in the monkey 3 strategy because 20% of the strategy is in a highly volatile asset class, which is small cap value. But if you're somebody who says, well, a 6% swing is nothing, I invest in cryptocurrencies, I do 30% swings in a day. So Yeah, I can handle this. That's two different investment strategies right there. So it's very difficult for me to tell you what the best strategy is. So when I talk about the Milky 3, it's a strategy that I personally use and I don't hide that fact. It's a strategy that has helped me build wealth even before I implemented it. But now that I have implemented, uh, my net worth has gone up by something like $50,000 this year. Uh, a lot of that has to do with small cap value. Uh, I'm not going to lie to you. I mean, the S&P 500 has been doing good. International side has been doing good. But when I originally got into small cap value, I did it first on my HSA side with Vanguard. And I got into the Vanguard small cap value fund back in uh, last summer when small cap value was out of favor. And I plowed in my $7,200 contribution into my HSA. I put it all in small cap value. Because i already had a large cap value fund in there and that large cap value did really well that small cap value did even better it damn near doubled my money in less than a year and then i implemented the same strategy on my public portfolios that you see here that i talk about on youtube you've seen small cap value appear in my taxable although a small percentage seen a bigger percentage appear into my roth i think now i've built that up to like six thousand dollar value in small cap value in my roth I've done it in my traditional. I've done it in my 401Ks and my wife's 401K. So when I come on here and I say you should have 20% in small cap value and I show you I'm in 20% small cap value, unfortunately, that doesn't mean it's going to work for everybody because I can see a scenario where if you're putting in 20% in small cap value and you're 55 years old, you might not get rewarded with the premium. You might actually underperform. And that would probably be a bad choice for you. But it's impossible for me to know that because I don't know you. So I I appreciate the questions you guys ask. I think uh, it's great that you're asking them. But at the same time, just understand that uh, the complexity of your question, I know you're looking for a simple answer, but the complexity of the question uh, makes it that I have to give you a four or five hour long answer. And Unfortunately, I can't do that for everybody. Even for you know people that are in my private membership groups, I, I I don't do that for them. Um, there's family members that I've helped out, but I always give them a uh, a big caution at the end that says, "Be ready to lose this money, at least paper loss." And for anybody that follows my channel, hopefully you guys understand that this stuff is uh, is not guaranteed. Um, I don't want to come on here and sit and make it look so easy that it almost feels guaranteed because it's not. Uh, of course, I can wake up tomorrow and, you know, a lot of the stock market could be in trouble and so would my net worth. But that's sort of the risk you take. You have to put up some capital at risk if you want a premium in return. If you don't want to take on risk, which is fine, I've met people that don't want to take on risk you can do something that's more of a guaranteed asset class, something like a, a CD, a certificate of deposit. I mean, I'm not sure what the rates are right now, but I'm sure, you can probably get one percent. Um, unfortunately, you know your uh, your one percent CD that is going to lose out to inflation long term, but at least you'll have the sense of security that you're not losing your capital investment, at least. in in dollar amounts. If you put in $10,000 in a CD, after the maturity, one, ten, however many years it is, you're still going to get your $10,000 back plus interest. So there's no risk there, but there's also no premium. It doesn't really pay anything. 1% doesn't do anything. Uh, So that wouldn't be, in my opinion, a good option, but for some people it is. And then you can step up from there into something like a bond fund. And uh, I talk about this a lot, Uh, For people that are older in life or are on their way to retirement or are leaving the accumulation phase of their portfolios and getting ready to enter wealth preservation uh, stage in their life, bonds are very important. Bonds are sort of that anchor that will hold everything together. It's that glue, uh, that super glue really, that holds everything together when everything else around you is falling apart on the equity side so yeah bonds serve a purpose but i can't tell you how much you should have in bonds because that's something you need to figure out it all comes down to how much money you want to lose um if you're comfortable with losing 10 percent then i would probably say you should be uh mainly in bonds and very little stocks if you're comfortable with losing 30 percent then you might uh, like something like a balance portfolio of 50 50 If you're comfortable losing 50%, then you might like something more aggressive like an 80-20 portfolio or even a 100% equity position portfolio. But again, it's up to you to determine that. Same thing goes with what types of bonds do you want. Do you want to keep it simple and just buy the total bond market on the U.S. side? You can do that. Um, That will give you pretty much all uh, government bonds, a couple of maybe 15-20% allocation to corporate bonds, very little and uh, really it gives you intermediate term U.S. treasuries. If you're comfortable with that, that's fine. If you want to do it on your own and you want to buy corporate, you want to buy government bonds, you want to buy T-bills, you want to buy inflation-protected bonds, you want to buy municipal bonds, you can go ahead and do that on your own. The thing is, there is no right way about doing this. It's, It's up to you. And then when you When you look at from bonds, just moving along asset classes, because I get this question a lot too, is cryptocurrencies. Should I have cryptocurrencies in my portfolio? Well, I personally don't. Um, The reason being is to me, a cryptocurrency is nothing more than a commodity like gold or precious metals. And historically, if you look at performance of gold or precious metals, they underperformed the market by a lot, not by a little. I think the average return of gold since 1985 has been something like 4% a year, compounded annually. Of course, the stock market's done something like 10 or 12% since 1985. So again, to me, a commodity is something that produces nothing. People speculate on the price of it, but it doesn't spit out a product or a service like a, like a company or a business does. So I don't have commodities in my portfolio. Is that the right approach for me? Yes, it is. For you, maybe not. Maybe you're at a stage where you want to have something like a Ray Dalio all-weather portfolio where no matter what's happening in the stock market, whether it's going up or down, you want to be in the positive. Yeah, you can set up a portfolio like that. It's not very hard to find online. But at times of a bull market, your portfolio will still be going up, but it'll be going up a couple of percentage points. While the market might be returning something like 20 or 30% in a year like like we've seen last year. If you're okay with that, then that's probably a good strategy for you. Again, I'm not okay with that, so it's not a good strategy for me. But it's very hard to answer the question, what's a good strategy for you? I think only you really know that answer. Even if you're um, working with a financial professional, so like a licensed financial advisor, even if they're a fiduciary advisor, they can learn all of of the inner workings of your personal finances, and they can make their best educated guesses on what they think would be the best strategy for you. But they're not you. You're you. You're the only one that knows. It's like uh, that uh, weird. Uh, it's kind of like the weird psychology behind. If you think about doctors, right? So doctors will throw everything but the kitchen sink at trying to help a patient cure cancer or uh, operate on them, whatever the case may be. But yet then when the doctor needs medical attention, they're sort of taking the path of least resistance. And if you just kind of sit behind and wonder like the psychology behind that, why that is because doctors know what's best for them. And they're going to treat you differently as the patient because they're doing what's best for you, the patient. Same thing with financial advisors. Financial advisors know what's best for them and they may not invest in funds that they recommend to their clients and tips actually standard practice that they don't because they wouldn't own those funds themselves personally. So it goes back to only you know what's best for you and, I, and it is my belief that nobody can look over your money. Nobody can manage your money better than you can because it's your freaking money. While I encourage you asking questions, I think it's a little bit of a of a funny question to me just because I, I do give sort of sometimes funny responses. Uh, sometimes I do get emails in like at, at midnight and, you know, people asking me, oh, should I invest in this or should I invest in this? And I kind of give, you know, the old uh, broad response of, you know, do what you think is best. Um, because I truly believe that and I think that's what you should do. Uh, your believe that that's best for you can't be uh, questioned by anybody else because nobody else knows in my opinion nobody else knows what's best for you other than you Um, just like somebody telling me that uh, I'm conservative because I invest in uh, index funds and that's sort of you know a conservative way to invest well first of all it's a bunch of malarkey but second of all that's their opinion they don't know me They don't know what my net worth is. They don't know how much money I make. They don't know how much money I spend. They don't know how much money I'm willing to risk. So by them saying it's a bad investment for me, I'm sorry, but you don't know me. So let's move on because I think it's important to kind of get through all these asset classes uh, as this talk about cryptocurrencies and different uh, alternative asset classes comes up. I always laugh at that, but um so wh- where do we stop at we stopped at crypto so yeah gold is another one um if you want to underperform the market eight out of the ten years invest in gold and you'll underperform eight out of ten but yeah you will outperform two out of ten so there you go at least you take that one um you can also do precious metals you might do a little bit better with precious metals although precious metals tends to be a little bit more speculative than gold So good luck with a little bit of added volatility, but still underperformance. You can then move on to equities if you wanted to. And not all equities are created equal either. You can start, for example, with uh, international equities. So you can invest in developed international markets, which generally over the last 30 years have underperformed the S&P 500. You can invest in international emerging markets, which... Yeah, they have a little bit of an added spice and kick and sometimes they might return 90% in a year, but then they're volatile on the on the back end and they lose, you know, 20-30% in a year. But yeah, you can invest in that. You can then invest if you want to uh, jump across the pond and you want to invest in the US stock market, you can invest in the S&P 500. It gives you about 9.73% a year historically. If you want to go broader, you can invest in the total stock market. If you want to go more narrow, you can invest in small-cap value or large-cap growth or mid-cap value, mid-cap growth. If you want to go even more narrow than that, you can break down the U.S. stock market by individual sectors, and you can invest in the real estate sector, in the technology sector, in the energy sector. I mean, there's 13 of them, so pick, pick your poison. If you want to go even further than that, you want to be a real genius, you can Pick individual stocks. That's really next level stuff because when you're picking individual stocks, you're really saying, I believe in this stock. Unfortunately, if you pick individual stocks, more likely than not, you'll underperform the market because there's this thing that really there's over, what, 35, 3600 stocks in the stock market. In the past year, maybe less than 20 stocks contributed to the returns of the total U.S. stock market, the other, you know, 3,450, well, they did all right. Some of them did just as well as the stock market, but majority of them, usually 60 to 70 percent of them are going to do worse than the stock market. So then you're betting on your ability to pick the best ones and know exactly the right time to buy them, exactly the right time to get out of them, sell them. Of course, an argument could be made, well, I could just buy and hold it. You could. I just did a video recently showing what happens when you buy and hold stocks. (laughs) When you buy and hold stocks like Pepsi, Coca-Cola, you underperform the market. Um, If you try to time it, you might do even worse. So with all that sort of floating around and kind of that I got you thinking now, let me ask you a question. What's the best strategy? You can see easily how it's a very difficult question to answer. Because when you ask me that question, I have to think about all those different asset classes. I have to know you personally and what your talents are and how much you're willing to lose. Because that's always the big question. How much are you willing to lose? Willing to lose 10%, 20%, 30%. Are you willing to lose 100%? Because I can find you something. Something that's called a uh, blackjack that you can make double your money in one but second. You'll lose all your money in one second too. I can find you an investment like that if that's what you want. But how much are you willing to lose? So that's why when uh, I I get asked that question, I kind of just kind of chuckle. and um, I, I'll do my best to answer, of course, with the limited information that I have. But just know my answer is really... Uh, as good as the advice that uh, you're seeking it's it's not that good because unfortunately I don't know you and even if I did I still wouldn't do it better than you so that's why I'm a huge advocate for do-it-yourself investing because with do-it-yourself investing you are the one that takes control you educate yourself on asset classes on investments and you make the decision. And maybe sometimes it's not the best decision. Maybe sometimes it is. Who knows? But at least it's you who's controlling the decision. Of course, you might be influenced by other people, and I'm not saying that's a good or bad thing. And I hope to influence a lot of people, but in a good way, uh, I hope to influence people to become long-term buy and hold index index fund investors and not so much speculative uh, trade this and that investors. But Somebody who's day trading might look to influence you to be a day trader because they believe it's the best strategy. So you see what the problem is here? Everybody thinks they have the best strategy. I'm no different. I think I have the best strategy. Why Why would you listen to me compared to all these other people? I don't have an answer for you. I have no idea why you're listening to me right now. But I'm assuming you made a choice and... It sounded right, sounded good. You did some research and you're like, yeah, this guy knows what he's talking about, okay. No, with my investing, I try to keep um, emotion out of it. Uh, I try to use data and and numbers because numbers don't lie. Uh, I don't care too much about people's opinions because opinions are, there's no facts behind opinions. They're just an opinion, but numbers don't lie. So when somebody, you know, brings up the data, I listen. When somebody brings up an opinion, I'm just, okay, that's cool, but what does that mean? It means nothing to me. So, that's really how I came into small cap value. One little side tangent here. Uh, hopefully, this podcast is providing some value, but let me give you a side tangent about how I came into small cap value. So, for the longest, I was a believer of a one fund system, and that was a S&P 500 or total U.S. stock market. And I don't make this a secret, but, you know, I built my first $100,000 in investments in one fund, FSKX. It's the only fund I used. Uh, I used that fund from basically 2017 till 2020 to build up to $100,000. So it took me three years. Once I crossed that $100,000 mark in FXKX, I started seeking alternative investment strategies. Not because I stopped believing in FSKX. I didn't. I still believe in it, and it still makes up the majority of my net worth and my portfolios. I, it's going to be my uh, one fund that I would ever recommend to anybody. But you have to understand, once you cross a certain point, especially when, when you're acquiring and building wealth, I don't have a roadmap of how to get here by looking at anybody in my family or or studying anybody that I personally know because I don't know anybody who's doing this. So I'm having to build my own roadmap. And I would hate to be wrong and have made all these sacrifices, made all these decisions and put it in one fund and something happened to that fund. It's kind of the idea you do not want to have all your eggs in one basket. So I started researching what other asset classes would be good to pair with a total market fund. And the first one that came up was a very simple one, was the total international stock market. And I said, that makes sense. Okay, I'm not a big believer in international stocks, but if you want to take some eggs, or if you want to look at a basket and you want to add a few eggs into that basket that are international, that's perfectly fine. Because the majority is still a U.S. stock market fund, so whether international does good or, or, or bad, the majority of my portfolio will follow the U.S. stock market, but at least I have a little bit of a hedge in case that U.S. egg cracks, I still got a international egg. And this isn't a new strategy. I mean, this is if you follow uh, Jack Bogle's work, if you follow the Bogleheads, if you follow any type of passive index investing strategy. Most of them are very simple with total U.S. stock market, total international market, and total U.S. bond market. That's the old classic three-fund portfolio. And it was really one that I was going to go down the path of myself. My third edition was going to be the total U.S. bond market. But then I really sat and I thought about it and I said, okay, well, you know, the total U.S. market. The total U.S. bond market produce, uh, returns something like 3 to 4% annually, compounded annually. And I'm 30, 31 years old. I'm going to be invested for the next 30 years. I'm going to have that part of my portfolio underperform my equities for the next 30 years. What is that going to cost me? And you know, I figured it out. I calculated it all out. And I said, okay, so it's going to cost me this much. Am I willing to risk the safety and security of a total bond fund compared to a total U.S. market fund over the next, not doesn't have to be 30 years, because again, I do plan on getting into bonds. I just said, am I going to risk all this potential future growth for the security of sleeping better at night or not checking my portfolio or not worried about volatility? And when I asked myself that question, I said, I'll sleep just fine with no bonds as I would with bonds because the type of investor that I am, I'm a stone cold investor. The price of the stock market means nothing to me. I don't care about the price. So I said, okay, well, if, volat- if this type of volatility of 30, 40, 50% doesn't scare me, I'm not going to put a bond fund. As soon as I made that decision not to put a bond fund, guess what happens? March 2020 happens and the stock market crashes. And my theory is put to test right there and then. Does this volatility bother me? Can I hold this? Am I going to sell them? What am I going to do? And it worked out for me. Instead of selling, I bought more. And instead of going to from uh, uh, equities to, to bonds, like a lot of investors did back in March 2020, I stayed the course and I was 100% equities and it paid off. Of course, I got lucky. It could have gone the other way. But at least I got to test myself and say, okay, my theory worked. So then with that appetite for growth, I said, let me find something that can do even better than just a total US stock market and a total international market. And that's when I started doing my research into small cap value. And I promise you, I know I was getting into small cap value. I just want to give you that little bit of a side story so you kind of know where I'm coming from. So in April of 2020 is when I did my initial sort of uh, research into small cap value, and I was shocked. I'm like, man, this is, here's an asset class or a sub-asset class or equity style, whatever you want to call it, but here's an asset class that beats the S&P 500 over a long period of time. And I'm a long-term investor, and I have a lot of time. Why wouldn't I want to have a little bit of tilt to this asset class in my portfolio? And maybe later, as, as my risk changes as the my risk capacity decreases, because of course managing two hundred fifty thousand and managing uh, two million is not the same thing, but you know with two hundred fifty thousand, I, I think I can afford to take a little bit more risks. so I said, let me allocate twenty percent to small cap value while well, I'm young now, thirty, and then I'm going to let that sucker ride i'm going to let it ride till. I start needing bonds, which is going to be about 50, 55, uh, I don't know yet. We'll see how uh, how long I plan on being in this wealth uh, growing stage. But at the very least, I know I got 20 years, right? I'm 30, well, I'm 31. I got till 50, so I got 19 years. But, you know, I got enough of a time horizon that uh, it'll be in my favor, hopefully. And, of course, if it's not, well, you know, that's the risk you – you take and that's the premium and the price you pay, you know, like you want to outperform well, you're, you're not going to be guaranteed outperformance. But when I think about it, well, if I would have just stuck to my original plan and I had 20% in the total U.S. bond market, I was almost guaranteeing that I would underperform. So if small cap value does 7% a year instead of the 13.8% that it historically has done. I still would beat my original strategy of having a total U.S. bond fund in there. So that's kind of the way I thought about it. And that's how I came up with the 60-20-20 rule uh, when it came came to my strategy. And I don't think I really spent a lot of time explaining uh, in my videos about how I came uh, uh, across what 60-20-20 seemed like, you know, such a sort of like a random number or a random uh, asset allocation but it wasn't really random i back tested uh many many different strategies of of different allocations so i've tried fifty percent u s you know fifteen percent in international and um twenty five percent in in small cap value i've tried all different types of asset allocations and the one that i settled with the one that had sort of the closest drawdowns to a 100% S&P 500 portfolio was a 60 20 20. it performed as far as drawdowns it crashed at exactly the same rate as the S&P 500. So in 2008 um, this portfolio small cap, this portfolio with small cap value would have done -55% and a portfolio with just the S&P 500 would have done -54%. It's a -1% difference. So are you willing to pay the price of negative 1% to potentially outperform? The answer for me was easy. The answer is yes. Now, in today's times, if you look at what small cap value has done since last year, it's beaten the S&P 500 2 X the S&P 500. So that choice to add small cap value instead of the total bond market paid off because I just doubled what the returns of the S&P 500 are. Now, I know I'm not going to do that year in, year out. So far this year, doing a good job again. Small cap values returning me somewhere around the 20% range while the uh, S&P is doing something like 12%. So I'm still up on the S&P 500. So look how important that little decision that I made of 20% to the bond market saying, no, I'm not going to do that. Instead, I'm going to look for something that's more aggressive and I put it in small cap value. That little decision sort of changed the trajectory of my investments for this past year. And it allowed me to make an additional $50,000 in the stock market that I wouldn't have made. Now, again, I'm going to challenge you. Is that for you? I don't know. I I really don't know. But you have to sit down and go through this thought process that I just laid out before you. I gave you a exactly the thought process that I had in my head to come to this conclusion that I need small cap value in my portfolio. So I'm gonna challenge you to do the same thought process with whatever asset class it is and come to the conclusion, do you need that asset class in your portfolio? And what are your beliefs and what do you believe will serve you best long-term? Whatever decision you make, just keep the long-term in mind, it's so important. Don't speculate on price. Don't speculate on what the future would look like. You don't know that. You don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know what it's going to look like. But focus on what you believe and focus on what historically the numbers look like. When you look at the data historically, the data won't lie to you. When you draw up some conclusions of some kind of future that you or Kathy would or that Elon Musk or cryptocurrency, this, Dogecoin, that, that is a narrative. That's not, there's no numbers behind that that prove that. So stay away from narratives, stay away from noise, focus on data, focus on your personal beliefs and invest based off of those. Nine times out of 10, those won't steer you wrong. It's the highly speculative, I heard from a buddy thing that's going to steer you wrong or I watched this guy's YouTube video, and he said this stock will 20x. That's the kind of stuff that's going to steer you wrong. Um, Bitcoin's run up to 60,000. I got FOMO. I got to jump in. you buy buying at 64. That's the stuff that's going to steer you wrong. Um, draw your own conclusions. Of course, make educated guesses. Investing is, at the end of the day, our best educated guess. There is no real uh, science behind it because it has... Uh, one of the most unpredictable factors in it has the human emotional factor, um, and people sometimes their emotions will uh, make them believe uh, anything. That's why we see Deutsche coin uh, go from, what was it, 0.002 to, you know, 70 cents a, a coin, because people, uh, if they're sold a narrative well enough, they'll believe anything, Um I, uh, you can sell a pile of crap to anybody um, as long as there's a willing buyer. Um, you can sell that, but then that's all that is—is is passing the pile of crap to the next buyer. <laughs> so hopefully, when it's your turn to sell the pile of crap, um, you have a buyer lined up. <laughs> because if you don't, then you're stuck holding the pile of uh, doo doo. And uh, sometimes I think that's a that's a good thing too. I've uh, had investments where I've had held piles of doo-doo when I was a speculator. And uh, sometimes those uh, taught me more about investing than, you know, index funds, because index funds, really, I don't care anymore. And it's, uh, people are kind of uh, shocked that I don't care about, you know, what the market does day to day or what the price of the fund is. Um, Really, I just focus on one thing is my balance growing. And uh, since I've been embracing index funds in in uh, 2019 when I first really started to embrace them. Yes, my balance has grew, grown since then. Um, and the rest doesn't really matter. I think um, people are searching for shortcuts when there isn't any. Um, people are searching for overnight successes uh, when the probabilities are so low that that will be you. Uh, and I come on here and give you uh, something that gives you the best probability of success but of course takes the longest as well and I just challenge you how patient do you want to be if you want to be patient then uh, be patient if you want to be impatient then go ahead and search for something that will do uh, better than than what I'm suggesting all right guys that's all I have for you thanks so much for tuning into episode 17 Uh, this week's uh, podcast if you're listening on the apple podcast side you have the ability to leave me a rating and write me a review and this is so important because this is really the only way the algorithm will push out this content to more people like you to hear it so i always encourage you guys not just to leave me a rating but to leave me a review because i will read them live on air so we have one uh, and this is kind of exciting this is the first one i'll be reading on air So this one is from, and I'm sorry if I mispronounce your name, but it's the Don 5% 5. I'm not really sure what that means, but the Don 5% 5 said, this podcast keeps me in check. Monkey's on a mission to build and maintain wealth the intelligent way. I make this podcast my ritual and listen to it whenever I think I'm smarter than the market. Wow, Don, that's a powerful review there. Um, I'm glad first of all that uh you know this podcast gives you that sort of um uh, calmness to uh really uh humble yourself because uh I, I think humbling yourself is is one of the greatest uh, uh characteristics that any human can have um and yeah if you really think you can uh do better than the market um Go ahead and try and then you know you can come back and listen to the podcast. So that's what the Don says. That's what the Don recommends. So I'm going to recommend that too. Hey, uh, thanks so much for reading that review. Thank you guys so much for listening. I really, really appreciate every single one of you. And uh, like always, have a great rest of your day. And until next time, remember, move obstacles, keep investing.